Greetings in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. A welcome to each one and uh, also a thank you to all that have participated and shared so far today. <clears throat> Enjoyed uh, listening in. So today, can tell us, anyone tell me what today is? Yes, Pentecost Sunday. Not something that we uh, make a big deal of generally, but it's kind of interesting that a young man that has connections with the Amish pretty directly knows that it's Pentecost weekend. They do make more of it than we do. And they'll have a holiday tomorrow for second Pentecost. Right? (laughs) Yep. In fact, it was, (laughs) I'm not sure if I'd have thought of it, except that uh, we also had some dealings with some Amish. And uh, they have a holiday and they uh, were sure to let us know that it was not Memorial Day that they were off. It was Pentecost. Second Pentecost. So, anyhow, I did choose to uh, focus on that a bit in the message this morning. Uh, Pentecost. I simply titled it Pentecostal Blessing. Um, you know, there's there's that song. We don't sing it uh, very often here. At least it's been a long time since I heard it. it it shows up in the uh, gospel hymns, uh, tent revival songs, the old time power, the Pentecostal power. I forget how it all goes, but anyhow, um, we do need Pentecostal power for sure. But um, I have become. Probably, maybe too, maybe you'll tell me I've become too much uh, focused on the steady long haul rather than the uh, hype um, experiences. Um, yeah, uh, sometimes we can. Uh, or sometimes people have focused on the hype and, and uh, haven't given enough attention to the long haul. And maybe I give too much attention to the long haul and not enough to the hype. I don't know. But uh, every now and then I do have some hype. <laughs> and uh, every now and then I need some hype too. You know what I'm, uh, I suppose you understand what I mean by that. But sometimes I, um, we need those moments with God where we know God was there and He met us and He spoke into our hearts and He comforted us and He helped us and He um, 
let us. I'm thankful for that. So, uh, what is Pentecost, anyhow? Um, Let's, uh, we'll we'll start in the book of Acts, but then I want to give a little uh, history, at least just a brief history of the day as it related to the Jews, the Old Testament. But Acts chapter 2, reading the first four verses, says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I'll just stop there for the moment. But there we have... Obviously, a clear identification that it was the day of Pentecost, and they're uh, they're gathered together in one place. And while they were gathered together, some things started happening. Uh, probably some unusual phenomena, because they were hearing what sounded like a rushing mighty wind. But my understanding is there was actually no wind. There was the sound of it. But there was no wind. Anyhow, it's Pentecost. They're gathered together. Just a brief look at the history of Pentecost. Um, The word Pentecost actually is, uh, from the Greek perspective, means the 50th day, which is actually the 50th day after Passover. So that's what the word means in the Greek. From the uh, Jewish uh, perspective, it was uh, the... Uh, let's uh, let's turn to Exodus. We'll read a couple verses there. It was one of their uh, Pentecost was one of their, and they didn't call it Pentecost in the Old Testament, but because uh, they they uh, they uh, like I said the the word Pentecost is a Greek word and they would not have used Greek language in the Old Testament. So anyhow, going to Exodus twenty three. Verse 14, Exodus 23, verse 14. Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat, thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee in the month, in the time appointed of the month Abib. For in it thou camest out from Egypt and none shall appear before me empty. And then verse 16, In the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in thy field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. So they were appointed or they were instructed to have three uh, feasts, keep three different feasts throughout the year. One of them being uh, the uh, the Passover. The second one 
uh, being the feast of harvest of the first fruits of their labors, and then the last one being the feast of ingathering, which was in the fall of the year. The feast of harvest, the first fruits of their labors, it held out, as I understand it from studies, it held out that uh, about the time of their their uh, small grain harvests and it was the first harvest of the year, which that's kind of the way it holds out for us in our climate as well. Uh, probably before too long, uh, they'll be harvesting their f- small grains. Their first, uh, of course, things change and we do things differently, but that was the typical. Uh, so they would offer that first. Uh, they would have that feast on at that time and offer that uh uh, first fruits of their uh, earliest harvest. <clears throat> F.B. Myers says it this way, the priests in the temple were offering the first loaves of the new harvest in celebration of the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came as the first fruits of our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit, we know that the scripture speaks of it as being the, uh, the down payment the, uh, uh, of our inheritance. And it came at the same time when they were offering their first fruits of their harvest. And it is the first fruits of our inheritance. So Pentecost was a regular part of Jewish tradition or, yeah, they, uh, so they were gathered on the day of Pentecost. And uh, as they were gathered there, as we see there in Acts chapter 2, that things began to happen. There was a sound as a sound of a mighty wind. And as they looked at each other, there were cloven tongues of fire around them, sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, they were, um, I don't know what their expectation exactly was. They were instructed by the Lord to tarry until the Spirit comes. Um I don't know if they had any idea how long they were going to have to wait or not. Or whether they met with any certain expectation that day. But nonetheless, it happened. The Spirit of God came, fell upon them. And uh, we see the beginning of the... uh, of the uh, New Testament church. I'd like to look at um, just a few points uh, surrounding all of that, the coming of the Spirit and uh, what it means for us some, somewhat. Um, And why that is so uh, monumental, I guess you would say. Um, Let's turn back in the Gospel of John to chapter 12. And just look at a little bit of 
context of uh, perhaps the need of the Spirit. In John 12, there's, uh, there's a lot of things happening. In, in verse 1, and then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. So, this is six days before the Passover. Uh, the Passover comes, he's, he's crucified, he rises again. You know, there's, we're, we're looking at a week of events here that, that a lot of, a lot of things are happening. Uh, and here is, uh, in this, uh, six days before the Passover is when, uh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. <clears throat> and then when you go on to like verse uh, 12, says on the next day much people that were come to the feast so they were the people were uh, coming and gathering in Jerusalem for the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried hosanna blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the lord and Jesus when he had found a young ass sat thereon as it is written fear not daughter of zion behold thy king cometh sitting upon the ass's colt these things understood not his disciples at the first but when Jesus was glorified then remembered they that these things were written of him and that he had done these things that they had done these things unto him <clears throat> The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. So, uh, this event uh, that we, is described here where they took palm trees and, uh, and, and laid them out and Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on the, on the donkey, uh, typically known as... Palm Sunday, uh, this event was in part happening because the people had heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead, and this was their response. They were they were responding with actually quite a quite a lot of affirmation for Christ and for who He was, and and uh, and giving recognition to that. Uh, and lots of people, it seems like, uh, the people, it says in verse 18, for this cause the people also met him, for they had heard that he had done this miracle. And of course, then verse 19 tells us about the Pharisees' response. Uh, therefore, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. So the Pharisees are disturbed because the people are believing in Jesus. And believing that he is the son of God and believing that he is somebody unusual and that it's worth their effort and time to get to know him. Uh, that's what seems to be happening in the hearts of a lot of the people. And the Pharisees aren't real thrilled about all of that. And then we have verse 20 and it says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Now Greeks, and there was actually a place for the Greeks uh, to in the temple or in the outer skirts of the temple uh, area, they could come. They, there, there, there were there were boundaries, uh, but they could come uh, if they desired to worship the true God. And there seems to have been an interest in that in some here. Uh, 
The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus, verse 23, and Jesus answered them, saying. So they come and they say, Jesus, uh, you know, remember the backdrop. You know, all these people had been giving uh, recognition to who Jesus was and 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 uh, the multitudes were there. And then the, uh, the disciples come and say, hey, there's some. There's some Greeks over here. They'd like to see you too. They'd like the chance to meet you, perhaps. And and here's Jesus' response. The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now, I don't know how you answer questions that come your way, but... How do you make sense of an answer like that from just a kind of a human natural standpoint? Uh, what a way to answer a question or to respond to a request, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. What was Jesus saying here? I think most of you probably know, but it's good to be reminded about it as we think about the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. What was Jesus saying here? Basically, uh, what Jesus was saying, he says, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Basically, what he was saying is, I as a person am very limited and I cannot meet. I, as a, in, uh, he, he was living in the, in the limitations of a human body just like you and I are. And there were only so many people that could talk to him at one time. There were only so many people that could be in his presence at one time. Remember the time they uh, took the roof off of a house to try to get uh, 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 a man down in in his presence. You know, it, it shows us the he and what Jesus is saying here is the time has come that we need to move on to the next phase of things. I can know uh, in my in my the limitations of this human body I cannot meet the demands and the needs of the world that is that is developing and uh and that's what he meant when he said except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die it abideth alone but if it die it bringeth forth much fruit he was uh the hour is come that the son of man should be glorified it's it's time to move past this phase and the kingdom, uh, the next step in the kingdom. And uh, I don't know if the disciples understood it. It doesn't seem like they did. Um, of course, he goes on and makes another application, which uh, 25 and 26, which is one that comes to us. Uh, and gives us, you know, he that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hates his life for uh, in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Uh, you know, this the same truth that applied to where Jesus was at that very moment has an application in our lives as well. That except we fall into the ground and die as a, you know, die to ourselves, die to our um, 
uh, goals, our dreams, our uh, aspirations, so that Christ can live in us. You know, just uh, extending the application a little bit. <clears throat> Anyhow, <clears throat> like I said, Jesus could only speak to and respond to a small amount, group, um, a group of people at any given time. And in a sense, people were standing in line to talk to him, to see him, based on this request. We would see Jesus, you know, uh, and we can understand that, you know, one person in a crowd. Think about the time again where they left him down through the roof. Not only could he, uh, he could only interact with a, a small group at a time, uh, human beings, the, the individuals that wanted to see him had to wait, <laughs> had to wait their turn, uh, had to wait till they had a chance. Well, think of Zacchaeus, you know, he wanted to see Jesus, the crowds were there, he couldn't see him, so he got, figured, he devised the plan, and he, he ran up ahead and climbed up into a tree and waited till he come. Then he, so, it gives you the idea, gives you the picture. Of the uh, the need of the hour, and how there were people that were interested, but Jesus, in his hum- limitations of a human body, uh, was not going to be able to. He was only going to be able to go so far in meeting those growing needs, and thus. He did exactly what he said. He fell into the ground and died. He was crucified, buried, and raised again, which is a, this, what he spoke here is, is exactly what happened as a, his, uh, his, he, he was crucified, he, he was buried, and uh, he rose again to a new life, and the next phase of the kingdom began to develop. And as we see there in Acts, and we'll look at it a little bit more, I'll just make this note yet before we move on. When the coming of the Holy, with the coming of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we have unhindered, unrivaled access to Jesus. And He can meet your need and my need and your need and their needs over in Africa and their needs down in Haiti and their needs in South America and Central America all at once. He's not limited. He can, he can, uh, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, he, he can be everywhere, anywhere present, meet anyone at any time, any hour of the day, uh, all those limitations are totally gone. So, no more standing in line to see or experience Jesus. Let's, uh, let's look just a little bit more into the book of John here as Jesus taught about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, he explains it some, teaches some about the purpose of it. Um, in John chapter 14, 
verses 15 to 20. One of the things to remember with the uh, the context of John here from chapter 12 on, like I said earlier, is all within a very short time and just a few days of events here. And so everything that we read here in the rest of the book of John actually always fitted into those that basically that one week of time. <clears throat> so in uh, in John uh of course, Jesus is, in, in this section of Scripture, Jesus is interacting with his disciples uh, and teaching them a lot of last minute, uh, giving them a lot of last minute instruction before he is uh, crucified. <clears throat> he, and he gives them comfort. Look at uh, chapter uh, 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, he he gives them instruction. He gives them comfort. He he tries to give them further understanding of his uh, kingdom and purposes. Um, so been using my device and it went off on me. <clears throat> All right. Uh in chapter 14, verse 15, if ye, the, if ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. And that word comfortless there in verse 18 uh, in my center column, it says uh, it, it offers the word orphans as a possible. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Um, so. He while he is telling them about the fact that he is going, he also uh, reminds them or, or instructs them. And spends quite a bit of time telling them that I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you fatherless. I will be with you. It's just going to be different than it was up to now. Uh, and uh, yeah, I guess, you know, from, from our standpoint, looking back on the history of it all and having the recorded history and, and, and uh, having, uh, Christ in our hearts by faith, you know, having been born again, it seems, it seems uh, so easy to see and understand it. And yet, when before it happened, and Jesus is telling them, it seems like they had difficulty wrapping their minds around it. Is basically uh, what it seems like from from what we read uh, at different points along the way. 
but he assures them that uh, he would send them the Comforter, which is the Spirit of Truth, or the Holy Spirit, whom the world uh, cannot receive because it doesn't see him nor know him. <clears throat> It says, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. And then verse 20, at that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Um, at that day, I'm wondering if that isn't actually the day of Pentecost that he's speaking of, at that day, you're going to realize, you're going to understand, it is all going to make sense. You're going to know that I'm in the Father, and the Father in me, and you are in me, and I in you. Um, at that day, you will, uh, it will make sense. It will, you will understand it. It seems, and it seems to me, it's probably talking about the, uh, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost would come. You know, isn't it the same for us when we, before we're a believer in Jesus, you know, we're told about it, and to a point we understand it, but until we are in Christ and actually experience Him in our hearts, then it all comes together and makes sense, right? Uh, before that, it's kind of a, a mystery. But once we've, uh, once we know Him personally and have experienced His grace in our hearts, then it all makes sense. <clears throat> and then going on to verse uh, 25, same chapter. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but... The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And he goes on and gives some, uh, it continues his discourse with them. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Uh, but just like to focus in on these verses a little bit here about the Comforter says, these things have I spoken unto you, being present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. You know, like I said, the, the, the uh, things weren't coming together in the minds of the disciples completely. They, they weren't connecting all the dots. And uh, it seems that, uh, as Jesus says it here, that uh, the Comforter, not only will he uh, be a teacher to them, but he'll actually bring to remembrance the things that Jesus had been telling them that they uh, maybe weren't grasping, maybe weren't uh, really assimilating. And that uh, the, the Comforter would bring those things to remembrance and he would, um, he would uh, teach them how those truths now apply to kingdom life. 
He would teach them. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit would, uh, would teach them. He would help them to remember what Jesus taught and how it applies to everyday kingdom living. And uh, I think he did that. You know, sometimes one of the things we have to be careful about when we read this says, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And, you know, we can, some people stop there and kind of uh, posture themselves as though you have a wide open world and the Holy Ghost is going to be the teacher It's going to tell you how to live. But I, I believe the Holy Ghost is actually... Um, is actually affirming the things that Jesus already taught them and teaching them how those things apply to the New Testament life. I don't believe the Holy Ghost is postured here to teach them things that are different and new that Jesus never touched. I don't believe that. I believe he is only here. In fact, the scriptures would affirm that he's only here to teach what Jesus already did teach and and uh, and and taught and and the disciples, he would help them to understand and uh, and understand how to live this new kingdom life, which we obviously see all the uh, uh, continued uh, instruction that the the apostles, those who were. Uh, close to Jesus and, and also Paul, left for us, which is basically the, the Holy Spirit taking the things that Christ had taught for his kingdom and teaching them how to live, how to actually live out church life, how to live out life in a, in a kingdom perspective, a New, new Testament perspective. <clears throat> And then going on to uh, chapter 16, verse 7 to 14. It's kind of interesting how many times Jesus comes back in just this, this, this discussion that he's having with his disciples. And he keeps coming, bringing them back to the fact that the Comforter will come. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. We're in, in, in John 16, verse 7. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So the, uh, there, there is a, a whole order and purpose in how God does things. And it was very, one thing that was very certain was that while Jesus was here, the comfort of the Holy Ghost wouldn't come as such the way it, uh, the plan was. And Jesus said, it's, it's, it's expedient for you. It is very necessary for you. Uh, you know, again, on, on the before side of it, to them, having Christ right there present with them, that was the ultimate, you know. And anything different than that didn't seem didn't seem quite what they wanted. You know, now we have the 
the expedient it's expedient we have we have the the other side of it we have the holy spirit he's been sent you know sometimes we say oh if jesus could only stand here among us and tell us give us an answer on this subject or an answer on that subject sometimes we like to go back to that side of it and actually have him present physically with us but it's so much more uh, so much better imagine what would happen if if one day Jesus actually stood, and I'm, I'm not saying not an apparition of him, but actually physically as a person stood right here among us. Imagine what would happen to us. Imagine how proud we'd get. <laughs> he came to us. I mean, there's how many churches in Lancaster County? He came to us. Think about it. Anyhow. He, uh, he's present in the Spirit, and we're on that side of things. And it is expedient, as he says, that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And that's exactly what happened on on that Pentecost Sunday many, many, many years ago. <clears throat> he goes on in verse 8, he says, he, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. He says in verse 12, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. However, how be it? Verse 13, Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. So, um, Jesus had to go uh, in order that the Spirit could come. And after his death and resurrection and ascension, he would send the Spirit to us, for us, and for his people. Let's uh, spend just a little bit of time and think about the effects of the Spirit in our lives. Um, we'll look at an Old Testament scripture first and then Romans. The Old Testament scripture is Ezekiel 36. Probably familiar to some of you. When we think about the effects of the Spirit in our lives, <clears throat> this, this scripture here in Ezekiel is uh, prophesying about the coming of Jesus and uh, what's going to take place and how things are going to change. He says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. I think of forgiveness when I read those verses. We will... Uh, will be able to be cleansed and forgiven of our sins through the blood of Christ. 
Verse 26, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. <clears throat> and I, I'd like to, I think of that as a, a heart, you know, the old stony heart is a heart that is, is uh, uh, rebel, rebellious against God, that is um, resisting God. And the new heart is a heart that embraces God and, and loves God and loves the things of God. And then verse 27, And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statues, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And that spirit is uh, what we uh, learn about there in Pentecost. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. Uh, the spirit of God empowers the believer to live a godly life. And then going to... Um, and that's a prophecy. That's what God said He would do long before it happened. And then when we go to Romans, we have uh, Paul's perspective on the subject of the Spirit. And I'm going to... Romans 8... Romans 8 verse 1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And uh, it might be worthwhile just making a little bit of an illustration. So it talks about walking there. And uh, and so in life, it basically uh, shows us uh, that scripture shows us that there are actually there's there's more than one pathway that we can walk in. Uh, there's there's probably a lot of things that we could put in there, but this scripture basically boils it down to two uh, different pathways. It says, uh, there's no condemnation to those who, which are in Christ Jesus. So first off, being in Christ is important. And then, uh, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the spirit of the law, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, Old Testament law, could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. 
Okay, there's several, there's the, the word law is used in this scripture and it doesn't always mean the same thing. First off, there is, uh, maybe I'll pull this thing a little closer. <clears throat> there is, uh, in, it says in verse 3, for what the law could not do. That is speaking of the Old Testament law. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not. Uh, just many, many things and many, many things that fall under that. What the law could not do. So basically, um, that is affirming and recognizing that the that Old Testament law came short of the goal. Not because there was a problem with the law itself, because it perfectly instructed us on what the right thing is to do. The weakness was in us as human beings. It gave us clear indication on how we should live and what is the loving way to live and the uh, right way to live and the God-honoring way to live. But it did nothing to provide the strength that was needed to live that way. Uh, and that's the, that, was, uh, that was the problem that God was out to solve. <clears throat> so what that law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, there was a weak link. God sending His Son, His own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So, uh, what that law could not do, God did by sending His Son, Jesus. And uh, the... Uh, so this this scripture speaks of uh, another law. It speaks of the law of the spirit of life. And th- these, these are two pathways here. But uh, I'd like to kind of make a similar illustration. To describe these laws. Uh, sin. And death, spirit of life. So, the law of sin and death. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So the the law of sin and death is it's a little bit like uh, uh, the law of gravity. You know, it's 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 in place and if I drop this it's going to fall, right? You can predict that. Correct? It's it's uh, it's the law of gravity. It's it's the overruling power and the overruling power is that everything goes down. <laughs> um, but how come airplanes can fly? How come birds can fly? Do birds and airplanes eradicate, destroy the law of gravity so that they can go up? 
They don't destroy it, but they do overcome it. They overcome the law of gravity by a greater law. And it's called the law of aerodynamics. The law of gravity is forever as strong as it always was. But the law of aerodynamics has out, has uh, overpowered, has outwitted, has outdone the law of, uh, of uh, gravity. And thus birds can fly and airplanes can fly and, and so forth. As a human being, the human race, we are all... The law of sin and death is what uh, rules in the heart of men. Um, poor heart. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and what, when, uh, when God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, lived in the same kind of body and flesh that we live in, uh, and condemned sin in the flesh. In, in other words, He... He uh, he stripped it of its power and brought a new power uh, to overcome that uh, law of sin and death. And so, now we have the privilege. We do not have to. Uh, we do not have to walk after the flesh. We have the privilege to walk in the Spirit of Christ. We are not forced to. That's why Romans says it this way. He says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, first off, who have Jesus in their hearts, have the Holy Spirit. There's no condemnation for those who are in that posture and are following the Spirit. Did the flesh go away? Not necessarily. All too often we find out that it's, it still has an interest to live, right? And if we give it any breath and any food and any attention, it will thrive. But the the no condemnation doesn't isn't spoken of if we're walking down here in the flesh. It's spoken of if we're walking in the spirit, if we're following Christ and the things of Christ and and seeking to yield ourselves to the spirit and the things of Christ. If we give ourselves to the flesh and let it control its appetites and its lusts and its desires and its uh yeah we're we're uh we're headed on a dead end street <clears throat> so uh the effects of the spirit in our lives what the law could not do the law brought an awareness of sin but it did not bring a solution christ brings a solution He gives us of His Spirit to assist us in living a clean, holy life. And life is described as a walk 
in which in which we uh, you know obviously all of us are living life so we are walking we are walking in something walking in the spirit walking in the flesh maybe sometimes one maybe sometimes the other sometimes we might find ourselves responding in in uh, ways and we recognize Whoa, that was the flesh that wasn't right the way I did that the way I handled that the way I responded to that that was flesh that was selfish that wasn't pretty that wasn't holy <clears throat> So life is a walk, and the goal is to learn the discipline of walking in the Spirit at all times. Do you know that is a discipline? The discipline of walking in the Spirit. It is a discipline. It's, it's not something that just happens. It's not, uh, it's not even, you know, while, while, um, it's a blessing to have those breakthrough moments with God and God you know, there's some issue in our lives and God, there's a breakthrough and that issue dissipates in, in, in the light of the Spirit of God. That's all a blessing. But you know, a lot of the Spirit uh, walk is not that. It is actually learning the disciplines, the day-to-day discipline of walking close to God and recognizing the things that uh, hinder me from walking close to God and recognizing the things that help me and choosing the things that help me over the things that hinder me. That's a lot of what walking in the Spirit is. Uh, learning that discipline uh, as opposed to some um, mountaintop experience. And I'm not against those experiences from time to time. We, we appreciate them when God uh, chooses to move in our hearts in sometimes a bit unusual ways. Bless God for that. But the long haul, uh, it's, it's a discipline. It's a discipline of walking in the Spirit. Colossi- or 2 Corinthians 10.5 says it this way, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And that gives uh, very much that dimension of the discipline of walking in the Spirit. Casting down imaginations and high things and, and things that are against Christ and bringing our thoughts into the discipline, uh, into the obedience to Christ. And we have, like Jesus' teachings, if our eye offends us, pluck it out. If there's something in our life that's, that continually causes us to stumble, do something about it. Be aggressive in dealing with whatever that is. Do something about it. If we pursue the things of the Spirit consistently and regularly, the things of the Spirit will also pursue us. If we pursue the things of the Spirit consistently and regularly, the things of the Spirit will also pursue us. 
Colossians, just a verse from Colossians here, verses 1 to 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. All right, to wrap it up, I'd like to go uh, back to that uh, scripture there in John 16, verse 8 to 11. It's where Jesus said, talking about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, he says, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And I'd like to think about that just a little bit and then go over to uh, the book of Acts. Chapter 2 again. So we have, uh, like we read there, they're all gathered together and the Holy Spirit comes, sits on them. They're speaking. People are hearing them speak in their own tongues. So they're... Verse 5 says, And there were uh, dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And, uh, well, I'll just keep reading. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How do we hear? How Hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born. And it was a a miracle indeed, because people with all their different tongues, every person, you know, you could have two people sitting beside each other who uh, were of a different tongue, and those two people heard the same thing in their own tongue. (laughs) Uh, Interesting scenario. Anyhow... uh, Perhaps that was the first uh, uh, divine overcoming of the uh, babble of the languages. Uh, anyhow, uh, let's see. Anyhow, we see the, the crowd's response. Uh, says, and they were all amazed in verse 12 and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? And others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. And then verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, and he starts preaching. And Peter preaches his first message from verse 14 all the way to verse 36, where he kind of wraps it up with, uh, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's how he finishes up his message. And verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What did Jesus say the Holy Spirit would do when he comes? He would convict men of sin. And right here, he started his work. 
Men and brethren, what shall we do? Of course, Peter has the answer. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we know the uh, the story. Uh, let me just read the next verse. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The um, this we we know the this the continued story. There was there were many added to the church. Uh, people came to faith in Christ by the thousands, actually several thousand. Um, so the Spirit, uh, Peter preaches his first sermon, and the Spirit of God does exactly what Jesus said He would do. And what a blessing that is to have the Spirit of God do that work, not only in in uh, in that kind of a way, you know, when the gospel is preached, but also having the Spirit of God do His work in our lives day by day as we walk with God and the Spirit of God walks with us and and speaks to us and prompts us and shows us error in our hearts and our attitudes or in our actions and and our thoughts and guides us to holiness and and all those kind of things what a what a blessing what a what a uh, something to be desired something to be welcomed something to be uh, appreciated in our hearts and lives uh, that the Spirit of God would do that continued work, not only having brought us to Christ, but working in our lives and keeping us and maturing us and and uh, strengthening us in our walk with Jesus and and so forth. So the Pentecostal blessing. <clears throat> do you have that Pentecostal blessing? presence of God, Spirit in your heart to comfort you, to help you, to strengthen you, to to lead you, to empower you. That is a blessing indeed. If you're able, kneel with me and we will close with prayer. Heavenly Father, again in the name of the Lord Jesus, we quiet our hearts before you. We thank you, thank you for this assembly, thank you for all present, thank you for your continued work in our hearts and lives, day by day, moment by moment. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that is our comforter, our guide, our our teacher, instructing us as we read the scriptures and he makes, he Helps us understand what we read. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for um, this beautiful thing that we know as the Church of Jesus Christ. Kingdom of God on earth in these days. Help us to be an integral, active part in that kingdom. And to make a difference 
in uh, our lives, in the lives of our communities, and in the lives of this generation. So thank you, Lord. Ask, Father, also that uh, wherever people are gathered in Jesus' name today, that you would pour out a blessing upon them. You would meet the needs of those who are hungering and thirsting after you. Ask your blessing on those in uh, Ukraine and Russia and the effects of the war. Pray that uh, you, as sovereign God, would continue to look upon those matters and in your own way use these things to build your kingdom. Father, again, thank you. Thank you for all that are here. And if anyone had a desire to be here and were not able, ask a blessing on them as well. And Father, continue to uh, strengthen us and help us in our walk with you to be faithful, to be true to you in all things. We pray in the name of Jesus with thanksgiving. Amen.